0: You are listening to the Indefensive Plants podcast, a show designed to cure plant blindness around the globe. Support for Indefensive Plants comes from listener donations. If you would like to give your support to Indefensive Plants, please consider becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash plants, and together we can help cure plant blindness one episode at a time. Hello everyone and welcome to the Indefensive Plants podcast, the official podcast of indefensiveplants.com. What's up? This is your host, Matt. Welcome to the show. How's everyone doing this week? Today's episode is all about an appreciation for cacti. Joining us is Stefan Berger, who has devoted himself to exploring and finding and photographing cacti over the last few years. And his photography is incredible. You can find him on Instagram at cacti underscore explorer. You should add him. You should follow him. Again, his photography is amazing, and as you're going to hear, it's all about showing cacti and their natural habitats and putting them into context. Recently, he has been exploring the Atacama Desert in Chile, which is one of the driest environments on Earth. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Stefan. I hope you enjoy. (music) All right, well, Stefan Berger, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How about you tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is you do?
1: Okay, so I'm an Australian photographer and traveler, and cacti have always been my passion. And uh, we don't have any cacti in Australia, but, uh, but I do have a small cacti collection. And I've been a member of a cacti and succulent society in Australia for years and it was always my dream to come over to South America and especially Chile to see the cacti here in Habitat because they've adapted to a very unique uh, ecology system over here and for me it was always fascinating to come over here and actually see it and photograph it in person. So. Uh, Yeah, photography and also a bit of writing. I do a bit of writing about my observations over here as well. And uh, yeah, I send that to the Cacti Society back in Australia. And so I'm currently in the process of writing a couple of different articles about what I've found and done over here for them. And then they publish them in in a journal, the Cacti and Succulent Journal.
0: Oh, it's really exciting. Okay, cacti aren't native to Australia. You, you have plenty of your own interesting succulents, but what, what got you going with, with cacti? What, what really kind of started that trajectory for your life?
1: Well, actually, I was, uh, I was quite a young boy, and my, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, and my grandfather actually had a small cacti collection, and I always took a specific interest in that. And yeah, it just kind of really started from there. My my family noticed my interest and they would buy me cacti encyclopedias and, <laughs> and save articles from gardening magazines and things like that. And I started my own personal collection and, and yeah, took on my grandfather's collection too, eventually. So yeah, it's kind of just stemmed from there.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. I love that, uh, you know, houseplant collecting or just growing plants, how that connects people to the natural world and kind of starts a lot of times these total obsession so if you had to kind of articulate it i realize this is a very difficult question to ask what is it about cacti specifically that that does it for you
1: i think it's just the adaptations and just that kind of primal urge for survival i suppose (laughs) and because because they they live in such extreme conditions you know and for me it was always interesting to To kind of yeah see what these conditions were like because over here in um, the Atacama Desert it it only receives proper rainfall usually on El Nino years so sometimes it can go like five to seven years without receiving any rain so it was kind of like I just wanted to see these things in in habitat and see what it's actually like you know on the ground and how they do make it through those years so it's it's been a really interesting journey to come over here and find them you know Um, great on. Yeah, I can imagine.
0: And it's striking to think about, unless you live in an arid place where cacti are native, or, you know, you purposefully go to those areas to see them, most people only see cacti in pots or in botanical gardens. And that kind of removes them from the context of what really has shaped these organisms through time, right? Exactly. Yeah, that was also what I was curious about is,
1: you know, how do they actually look in habitat, you know, and how do they vary? in habitat and what are these habitats like yeah it's just been fascinating for me to to come over here and photograph that and you know i've spent a long time searching in habitat doing a lot of tracking it's taken me to some places that i i certainly never would have gone <laughs> otherwise you know it's, a, yeah. it's that's the interesting part about it so you end up in locations where you Sometimes you look around and say what am I what am I actually doing here
0: you know yeah. um, but it's very interesting it takes you to some interesting places oh <laughs> uh, that's so cool and that's that's i mean how i ended up finding you is you take just such wonderful pictures that really captures what these cacti are doing in the wild where they belong how they fit into the local ecosystem and and the great thing about loving plants the way someone like you does is the fact that yeah you can go to these weird places i always say you can throw me down in some of the weirdest places in the world and I would find something interesting. And that's kind of what it's like when you just find plants to be uh, your passion is you end up, like you said, in these weird spots going like, wow, I did this all just to see that. Exactly.
1: You know, and and sometimes I can literally be searching for hours on end. Yeah, you're, you're literally like looking in between cracks in rocks. And it's just <laughs> sometimes it's like, wow, you know, it really just pushes you to like. I don't know the spirit of discovery. You know what I mean. And when sure. you actually do find what you're looking for, it's it's really quite amazing to see that. You know, sometimes I'm looking and I'm thinking, do these is it actually like you know my my guidebook says that it's in this area. You know, is it actually here? And sometimes I'll be lo- and then eventually you find it, and <laughs> indeed there it is. You know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so. Holy cow! It worked
1: out. And when I when I when I take my photographs, I try to kind of capture some of the the landscape that these plants are actually involved in because so often I would see photographs just of like an aerial view of a cactus in habitat and you wouldn't actually get a a good idea of the actual environment Mm. so that's what I try and incorporate into my photography specifically
0: Yeah. yeah yeah you do it really well and again that's what really kind of drew me to your your work is just the fact that there's just something about having it again in this environmental context because they look bizarre enough as is but then to see you know, okay, like you said, this one's growing out of a weird crack, or this one's sheltered underneath a bush, or here's this one growing out on our rock outcrop, completely exposed to the elements. It's it's yeah, exactly. stunning. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so what drew you to the Atacama Desert specifically? And then we can kind of get into, you know, there's a lot of places in the Americas you can go to see cacti, but why the Atacama yes. Desert?
1: <laughs> yes. Well, the Atacama has the reputation as, as the driest place on earth. Um, and, th- and I think that's what attracts a lot of a lot of backpackers and tourists to the area and, in, and indeed it is because it's it's kind of the Atacama Desert proper is, is kind of trapped in between the the Andes on the eastern side and then on the western side it's got the Chilean coastal mountain range so you've sort of got this two-sided range shadow so in between those mountains it really is dry and there's actually nothing at all <laughs> like you, you won't find anything living or growing there but where you do find the cacti is in the Andes and also on the coastal mountain range and The coastal mountain range is the most interesting because every day, almost every day, you get this coastal fog coming in off the Southern Pacific Ocean. And the locals call it Kamen Chaka, but it's it's basically just a, a coastal fog. And it sort of drifts in and settles on this coastal mountain range on the tops of the mountains and leaves a really dense precipitation. And this is actually how the cacti get the moisture and the water they need to survive in the Atacama Desert. So it's a very um, specific, like, ecology, you know, and it relies heavily on this um, this coastal fog because if that didn't come in, th- there would be actually literally nothing growing. Um, wow. And that's how they get through a lot of these really, really dry years is just by literally soaking up some of that precipitation every morning or every evening. That's, that's kind of what
0: drew me to, you know, it's just literally the most extreme thing that you can think of, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> you have these plants yeah. that are about as extreme as adaptation gets to harsh environments, and then you see what they're doing in literally one of the harshest environments in the world. That has to be a breathtaking moment to kind of realize what evolution has done to these plants. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's also quite a cold environment too, because you've got the Humboldt current, which is, it's, it's an, an Antarctic oceanic current that comes from Antarctica. And out uh, of come, Desert, it's, it's only around about 20 degrees Celsius. I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit, but, it, and there's always a really cool breeze. And of course, in the desert, because there's no moisture in the ground here, there's nothing to absorb that heat and carry it into the night. So it can be, you know, close to freezing sometimes <laughs> in the night in the desert proper. So yeah, the desert is just one of the most harsh places really. Um, Yeah.
0: A land of extremes. And then the Atacama is the most extreme of the extremes, but Uh, you know, people can readily recognize a cactus when they see one. It's, it's not hard to look at it, you know, occasionally euphorbia or the asclepiads kind of mess with that, but there's a lot of variations on the cactus theme though. And I would assume that being in the Atacama desert has, has even brought more nuances into that picture. So for plants that have to handle extremes of temperature, freezing to hot, uh, and then extremes of uh, lack of moisture, and then moisture mostly coming in the form of fog, do you see cacti of this region really kind of uh, morphologically at least adapting to to those needs or those requirements?
1: Yes, you do. Because you you don't get very tall cacti Mm -hmm. along the coast. You get some species, the are the tallest, but still they're not Overly tall. There's a lot of small, really, really small cacti like Ereoscius and Copiapoa. And actually, the smallest Copiapoa and almost the smallest cacti is Copiapoa laui. And this is a cactus that really has a story uh, and an adaptation because I recently found it in Pandiazuka National Park here. And it is literally so small uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, you know, maybe around 10 millimeters to 15 oh, millimeters wow. wide. It's tiny, and it literally grows basically underneath just the 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 top, the top soil and some little stones. so if if you do just catch a glimpse of the top of one, you've literally just got to brush away carefully the huh. the stones and and blow away a bit of the the soil. then you'll see it growing under the ground there because, wind temperatures are a little bit warmer usually about one to two degrees warmer sort of very close to the ground level so they try and you know you don't get very tall cacti growing because they're trying to conserve heat and energy and whatever warmth the ground absorbs and so and that's also where the the dew or the the coastal fog precipitates (laughs) right there so it's just really crazy to see something like that that's that's undergone those adaptations but yes you see very small cacti that um grow really close to ground level well also because they don't get much water you know so they've adapted to to not kind of overgrow
0: because they need to be very conservative with what they've got so you see a lot of really really small cacti here neat i love that idea just how important microclimates become in these conditions like you said that boundary layer just above the soil layer where it's just enough heat and just enough moisture that's where they're gonna hug
1: (laughs) yeah exactly and and in in rock fissures and cracks in rocks too that's where you'll see them growing because the rocks they absorb heat and carry it into mm-hmm. the night, but also it's a big collection point for the, for the common and chakra and the precipitation of runs down into these cracks in the rocks. And it's a perfect little shelter for the cactus to grow. So, yeah, it's just, it's really quite remarkable. Yeah. Mm.
0: Do you get kind of goosebumps sometimes when you, you know, take a seat and really reflect on what you've seen and what you're experiencing? <laughs> Yeah, you do. You kind of realize
1: how profound it is, you know, and it takes you on um, sort of philo- philosophical journeys of like evolution and all that kind of thing, you know, <laughs> yeah. and how it even, <laughs> you know, how they even became to be here, you know, it's it's just remarkable. But the more you look around in the outer you know, you see how the ecology works, there's small finches, lizards, bugs, Butterflies, different mechanisms for pollination and everything. So, you know, every plant has its specific pollinator too. So where their plants are also animals and insects, so yeah, it's it's all here in the Atacama,
0: you're just gonna really go looking for it sometimes. Yeah, (laughs) and I'm sure once you find it it gains that much more of an appreciation for you. But to get an idea of just cacti diversity, is this a, a diverse region for cacti, or are you really only gonna find a handful of representatives from a few genera?
1: Mm, interesting question. I mean, it's not as diverse as some areas that you find in in northwest Argentina, where you find some of the tallest, well, the the tallest cacti in South America, and also actually the smallest cacti. So <laughs> you get a really diverse range in northwest Argentina, but they they have a lot of different, a lot more different climates, and Bolivia and Peru as well also have a lot. So Chile's kind of, it, it's got some of the most. I mean, Copiapoa are some of the most sought after cacti um, and some of the most valued cacti I think by enthusiasts there's just something about the copiapora, and that's an endemic cactus to Chile and it's adapted to these cloud forests um, specifically along the coast and so yeah I think that's enough to draw people here you know um, <laughs> time time and time again because I, I know several people who have actually come over here and there's really something just unique about seeing this specific cactus, the Copiapoa, in habitat here. Um, so, yeah, maybe not as diverse as other countries in South America, but probably, in my opinion, one of the most special.
0: Yeah, Yeah, just a really unique offshoot. Again, probably because of the conditions that were presented to life that needs to survive there.
1: Yes, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that it's one of the most interesting ecological places that I've been through, or well, the most extreme adaptations that, that I've seen cacti undergo. Yeah. so that's what sort of does it for me, yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people find interesting about the cacti of Chile. Neat. Yeah.
0: So what are other favorites there that you're seeing? I mean, what how long have you been there, I guess, and what kinds of cacti are you seeing, and what are some remarkable species other than the little guys we just talked about?
1: Well, I've been traveling in South America for almost 18 months wow. and come over here to do volunteering, learn Spanish, travel, photograph, and basically learn about the culture and everything that South America has to offer. But yeah, I've spent a lot of time searching for cacti and oh wow, it's it's so diverse. I mean, <laughs> it's,
0: it's
1: it's interesting because a lot of people actually, if they don't know a lot about South America, they're even sometimes surprised to hear that there even are cacti here because places like Mexico and even the United States have a lot more research going into like ecology and cacti than in South America. And there seems to be a bit more kind of eco-tourism eco-tour- travel for that kind of thing in those places. So yeah, that was another thing that really drew me to South America because time and time again, I would read in my field guides about the cacti of this this region, which, which really kind of drew I me. I mean, here. just
0: as... Someone who thinks about plants regularly, it makes sense. But for people that hear North and South America or Mexico, you know, North America has its deserts. We understand that. But when we think of South America, generally people think of the Amazon. But they forget that there's all of that other part of South America that is both mountainous and then, latitudinally speaking, very similar to parts of North America. So you do get those arid climates. Exactly.
1: Yeah, and and cacti are only endemic to the Americas. You won't find them in any other country. Yeah, well, you do find... Plants in other countries that have undergone sure. the same kind of adaptations as, as cacti, and that's why you get them looking the same, and they can be sometimes easily confused at first glance. But, um, well,
0: um, I mean, it's, it's always amazing to think that even the jungle has its own cacti species. I was just in Costa Rica and saw, you know, an epiphilus cactus that had fallen out of the tree, and that was the first time I'd put it into habitat contact. So, oh, you live up in the jungle. <laughs> exactly. Um, and this is something that I haven't seen personally in habitat. My well, yeah, one of the
1: next trips that I would like to do would be to some of the, the rainforest areas of even Brazil, Bolivia has them, and mm. uh, also Argentina. But yeah, it's amazing, you know, and that's the thing, you know, with cacti, if you only go looking in dry deserts, you'd probably miss about half the species because, Jeez. yeah, there's a lot there. They actually, they need a lot of more water. It's just the way that they've adapted. But wow, it's it's a really diverse family of plants, <laughs> I tell you.
0: <laughs> yeah. And what I love too is cacti are known for being spiny, don't touch. Uh, Anyone that's accidentally run into a prickly pear or a jumping cholla will empathize (laughs) with that. But a lot of times those spines aren't just there for defense, they're also there for shade or to help gather water. Are you seeing a lot of that in the Atacama? Oh
1: yes, and that takes me back to what you originally asked me before. (laughs) Yes, there there are some of the taller cacti here, the Ulyshinia, and they have... Really, really long spines, and they've actually got around the areola like a a type of wool or or fur, and that's really quite dense. And that's a really great collection point for for any of the precipitation, forms dew droplets, drops down to the soil below, and the root, uh, the superficial roots of the cactus absorb it. Um, And yeah, you get it condensating on the spines of the cacti as well. And there's also actually a type of lichen that grows on the cactile on the really? coast here. And you can find a cactus and it's literally just covered in this really dense mat of, of lichen, you know. And huh. it's kind of like at first glance, it's like, is that actually part of the plant? It, like, it kind of looks like Chewbacca. And <laughs> and you go up to it and you look and, and, yeah, it's a really great example of ecological facilitation because, you know, this dense mat of lichen actually really helps shade the cactus, helps gather water, and they both kind of – so, you know survive and help each other you know so wow. that's really fascinating to see
0: so those spines kind of act as combs that just help their like you said they're condensation points that just are mopping this moisture right out of the air yeah
1: exactly because i've been right in the common chakra and the thick fog and it's it's really really dense you know it's it's not rain but you can feel the droplets even on your skin and if you go over to a cactus and have a look you'll definitely see the droplets forming and dropping down to the ground below so it's not rain but it's just enough you know (laughs) and it's sort of yeah, they create their own rain, essentially.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's got to so. be a wild experience just to be surrounded by rainy fog in such a dry ecosystem. And then to have the backdrop being, you know, rock outcroppings and cacti of all these strange forms. It's
1: unbelievable. And I, I actually have just come back from a trek around the Taltal area. It's just a little bit south of Antofagasta where I am here. And you can be in the, in the town in the morning and it will be so overcast and and a little bit dark even and this thick fog is just covering the whole area but it doesn't get over like for example maybe 300 meters you go trekking up a mountain and you literally trek beyond that and above that is just clear blue sky and just a just a field of cacti, and so it's just crazy because you can actually look down and you can't even see the town; it's just so densely covered in this fog. Hmm. And you've only trekked up a few hundred meters and you're above it, you know, and you've got clear blue sky. So weird. Yeah, it's
0: it's a pretty special thing. Yeah. Yeah, that is remarkably special. Now you mentioned pollinators, and when I was recently in the Sonoran Desert, I was just amazed at the idea that these cacti, like especially the saguaro are kind of the backbones of these ecosystems, you know, and the the Sonora and the saguaro kind of takes the place of what you would think of as trees, so they provide nesting, roosting sites, plenty of food, are there other, you already mentioned the lichen, but are there other really awesome faunal interactions going on with the cacti down there, just because life is so precious in these harsh conditions, again... Yes, well,
1: yeah, you see a whole variety of birds, small finches and others, and they they perch themselves on the cactus, and you can actually see them drinking the the dew and the precipitation. <laughs> those those water drops that you can see them drinking it. There is also an animal called a guanaco, and it's in the same family as the as, as a llama, and they live along these coastal. Actually, these coastal gardens are called lomas. Um, oh. up the top of the mountains they're called lomas and they're living in these lomas and you'll see them if you go there first thing in the morning And they're just tilting their heads upside down and and they're actually drinking the water off the spines oh. of the cactus so no. you know they've learned how to navigate the the cacti so they don't they don't injure themselves but but yeah, you do see that, and that's also
0: ecological facilitation, you know. Um, yeah, what a uh, what a risky way to have to get your water needs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is really risky. Yeah, the, the the one downside to it is a lot of these smaller cacti that I was talking about before, the size and some of the Copiapos, they they do have spines technically, but they're really not that defensive you know they're, they're they're very very small and quite often these guanaco actually dig them up with their hooves because they've got like a almost a tuberous root they have a tuberous root down below like a lot of the body of these cacti are below the ground I'm storing the water and they they, they, they they dig it up and eat it because there's not a lot of defense yeah um for the plant so yeah in that case it's a bit of a threat actually to the to the longevity of those species in oh. the wild some of those really small cacti yeah huh
0: now, is this like uh, deer in here in eastern North America where their numbers have just kind of gotten out of check, uh, lack of predators, or is there something else going on, or is this just kind of, there's areas that are hit harder than others?
1: Yeah, no, there's not... <sighs> It's a pretty stable population. It's actually decreasing the population oh. of the Guanacos in some areas, and they're trying to actually stop people from driving down some of these coastal roads to stop scaring them away oh, kind of thing. Wow. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a bit of an interesting one. But yeah, there's not actually so many, but it's just because there's just so little to eat in the desert. They yes. Sometimes in these drier months and years, they... They just really go looking for anything possible for survival. You know, it's just a sort a story of survival in the desert here. And that's what drives them to do to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it kind of harkens this idea of uh, just the delicate balance. You know, when I'm teaching students, they talk about biodiversity and instantly go to the rainforest as being this fragile ecosystem kind of on this balance. But when you think about deserts, they're no less valuable just because they have fewer numbers of species, but they're often equally on this delicate balance and it's weird because you have this juxtaposition of such a harsh landscape where you have to be as tough as nails to survive but also (laughs) you're just on the teetering edge of oblivion. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and resources are very scarce, you know, especially water.
0: So does the Atacama, like flowering-wise, is there a season when that happens? Uh, Is it generally associated with a certain time of year or is it just whenever the conditions present themselves, boom, everything explodes?
1: (sighs) Interesting question. I mean, primarily it's it's summer and down here in the southern hemisphere, it's between like December, February, um, January, February. You'll see a lot of the copiapoa flowering. But some of the ericite, I was just in the southern part of the Atacama and some of these spe- species of ericite actually flower in the winter. Yeah. And I was greeted with, um, yeah, just a really array beautiful pink flowers on these tiny little cacti. It's so easy to spot, you know, really, yeah. really visible to pollinators, which it has to be. But um, some in winter, but uh, the majority in summer. Very cool. And you can actually see flowers almost all the year because I've done several different trips at all different times and I've more or less always found flowers Some species are just sort of still a little bit more active than others and you know might have had a bit more water than others too so they flower for longer and it's it's quite variable yeah
0: that's exciting uh i kind of like those habitats where you never quite know what you're gonna get because sometimes the (laughs) strict seasonality you're like ah and it's done I had friends that worked in the Mojave as seed collectors, and it was like a six-month contract, but they had like maybe three weeks at best where it was a good time to go out and look for stuff.
1: Right, really short window, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So when you're not in South America, I'm sure you've gone to other countries, as, or I should say just Chile, but uh, you've gone to other countries as well. What are some other memorable spots where you've gone botanizing for cacti?
1: Ah, oh, gee, well... I've been yeah to Argentina, Bolivia, and Peru, but I've also been to Madagascar. Now, Madagascar doesn't have cacti as sure. such, but it, it has some some uh, really unique sort of succulent plants, and they've gone some of the um undergone the same adaptations essentially as cacti. And Africa's also got a lot of other countries full, but yes, yeah, so I've been to Madagascar, and that was a very um interesting experience too yeah
0: i um, I, I, am sure getting around in madagascar just in and of itself is a vastly different experience but to see you know these these succulent weird offshoots uh of like euphorby ac or aposin or you know what i mean like you said these adaptations that have kind of converged just because of the pressures of the ecosystem now uh are there certain groups over there you're you're quite fond of too
1: yeah the, the baobab trees or the bottle yeah. trees madagascar has i think five or seven maybe different endemic species and and we actually also have one of the species in australia and it grows in the western part of australia which is which is very very interesting because um there's a few different theories about how it ended up there with the current from the the Indian Ocean, bringing the seeds across, mm-hmm. or whether it was some travelers who brought the seeds across. But yes, um, it's actually the biggest succulent in the world. Wow um, these 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 bottle trees that grow in Madagascar and really really amazing to see to see in habitat. Overwhelmingly huge and massive, um, and they're a deciduous succulent. They, they do produce leaves, but Jeez. they. Um...
0: I mean, I've seen pictures, but I can imagine that doesn't even do them justice at all.
1: No, they're just they're they're phenomenal plants, really, really, really amazing places, an avenue of the the baobab trees over there, and that's um, wow.
0: Yeah, it's otherworldly, really. Yeah, <laughs> right on, right on. Um, so, what's on the horizon for you? I mean, it sounds like you've got uh, a lot of great things going on. You're, you're exploring. You're getting to know different cultures in the world. Like, what what are you excited about for the future? And what do you what do you hope to do with? Uh, with a lot of this, so that you know, obviously you're publishing articles and, and, and taking great pictures to share with the world. Oh, good question. Yeah, I mean, I think the journey is always going
1: to be ongoing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm always finding another cacti um, that I'd like to see in habitat and photograph. And I'd like to put together a couple of different books nice. as well with, with my photos, but also with a description of, of what's going on in the pictures as well. Uh, but the rainforest is is call me, um, <laughs> and I've got to find cacti that are living in some some wetter habitats because that's what I haven't haven't had a lot of, of time exploring, and that's that's something I'd really like to work on in the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's very exciting. Um, are there any particular species, like uh, you know, so so to speak, holy grails that uh, you're like I have to see this or I want to see this, and flower? You know, what are what are some species you really want to see?
1: Oh. Wow, good question. Yeah, there's some, um, all
0: of them. Oh, yeah,
1: there's, well, you get, um, various, I can't actually pronounce, uh, the name of it here, but it's come, it's, it's perf, perf perf perfiria. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like what you saw the cacti growing in the trees and they're usually growing amongst bromeliads and all these kind of things. But yeah, there's a whole variety of different mellow cacti that I'd like to, I'd like to see and they're, they're, they're growing in, um, in the northern part of Brazil, and there's also some through Venezuela, Colombia, and the Caribbean, and yeah, that's where you're going to find a lot of these cacti that are living in more like um, more tropical climates.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm super excited about tropical dry forests. A few months ago, I had a person on to talk about her research there, but she mentioned uh, forests of Opuncha, which kind of sounds terrifying in some ways because I'm clumsy, but also is a site I think I, I desperately need to see someday. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Wow. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. Have you ever had any unfortunate encounters? Um, you know, I garden plenty with cacti, I can tell you. Uh, <laughs> I've pulled more than a few glochids and spines out of my fingers. Have you ever had an unfortunate uh, encounter or two?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: I've had my fair share.
1: That's that's for sure. Uh, where do I start? I mean, I've had endless spines, you know, um, nice. in all kinds, you know, underneath fingernails, yeah. in between, in between knuckles. Actually, I had one and I had to get that removed by surgery. Actually, <laughs> oh no, um, that was actually in Australia for my my own personal collection in, in the garden. <laughs> I was I was weeding and accidentally um, punched a cactus essentially and nice. got a spine right in between one of my knuckles. Um, so that wasn't pretty, but yeah. And actually, you know what, um, brown ingia. Candelaris is a cactus that you find in the extreme north of Chile and southern Peru, and it has some of the most formidable spines I think I've seen of all cacti on the on the base stem. And my boots—they're they, great trekking boots—but um, they have this really soft spot right on the heel. Mm-hmm. And one of the spines was it was it was in between one of the rocks, and I actually stood on it, and it went straight uh, through that that soft cushiony part of the sole uh, into my heel. You uh, know, it literally went right through the boot into the bottom of my foot. Um and it's kinda of like the worst nightmare, isn't it, really? Uh yeah. <laughs> something like
0: that. <laughs> in the
1: bottom of your foot. Um so yeah, I had to remove carefully remove all the laces and, and the uh yeah, so
0: I could actually get the boot off my foot and then remove Jeez, the spine. Yeah.
1: So <laughs>
0: yeah hazards of the job i guess we we do weird things for our passions and put up with a lot
1: yeah well it's a labor of love you know um certainly at the end of the day i'm like well you know
0: this is part of it and it always makes for a story yeah exactly (laughs) something to tell uh when people go like oh plants are boring you're like i beg to differ (laughs) yes
1: exactly
0: Oh, oh no there's always some kind of adventure that you get on here and uh,
1: sometimes I've actually I've had a couple of times where I've almost been a little bit lost you've really got to keep your bearings on mm. which way is north when you're doing some trekking in these places too
0: <laughs> yeah sure I can imagine you're in some pretty remote areas at times just to get into good natural habitats to see some of these weirder plants.
1: Yeah you know um, I've got a small jeep that I use and I sometimes you know I can only park it so close to some of these places where I have to sometimes go. Even up to 25 kilometers tracking return trip, you know? Wow. So you gotta make sure you take sufficient water and everything, but you can, some of these valleys, I tell you, you know, um, yeah, you can go around some pretty windy, crazy places and yeah, you need to, you need to keep your wits about you because it's easy to get carried away we're seeing all the plants and then all of a sudden you kind of have to take a moment to, to get your bearings and remember where you parked your car.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's one thing to do that in a country where you're never more than a few miles away from a road, but to go out into one of the most remote wildernesses on the planet and do that. You, yeah. Keeping your wits, which brings up a really good question is, you know, a lot of times here, at least you could see stuff just by staying on the trail, but I would imagine trekking, you kind of, like you said, have to park and then wander. I mean, are you just kind of setting a plan and getting ready to just head in a direction or you know what what's it like to go and say okay I want to see these three species I know they're here how do you go from that to actually finding them (laughs) yeah well it it takes a little bit of reading sometimes
1: but other times it just you know you sort of you get a bit of a sense for it where to look for the cacti you know Mm. cacti tend to go together with rocks you know um (laughs) more or less most of the time you can have quite a serene environment with um, you know kind of rolling hills of, of, of sand but then you'll, you'll be a small outcrop of rocks hanging off the side of one and that's always the place where you're going to find the cacti you know so yeah you sort of do a bit of research and, and some cacti like i say about the Lowy, it's literally growing under under small rocks and sand you know you mm-hmm. have to know the environment but sometimes you've literally got to look like a crazy person <laughs> down on your hands and knees looking for them you know? <laughs> so, some knowledge and there's some information out there if you do some reading about, you know, in some mm. field guides and, and even journal articles and stuff about locations. But, you know, you don't all, you don't get GPS coordinates to where to find some of these plants, no. you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's just, it's a bit of both, a bit of experience, but also a bit of, um, well, a lot of reading.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it's a labor of love and sometimes that journey makes that sighting all the more beautiful. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hey, Stefan, if people want to see your work, check out your beautiful pictures or read any of your articles. How do you recommend people find you?
1: Well, my Instagram page is the best for my photos, Cacti Explorer. But, yeah, still working on some of these articles, but they will be published in the Cacti and Succulent Journal. So, I yeah, I plan to develop some sort of a website, actually, where I'm going to um, publish some of my, my writing and findings on there. And uh, from there, I'm going to put i uh, put some links to, to the articles. But for now, my Instagram page is the best way to contact me and has my email on the page as well. The, the Ruta Cinco, the main highway that goes all the way through Chile, is kind of inland and it's a little bit, I don't know, for some reason I don't like to use it. It goes up to a bit of altitude as well. And They're actually developing ideas to, to build a coastal highway and it cuts directly through Pandiazucar. National Park to connect to coastal cities because they're developing a lot of mining in the area and that's also a threat for the cacti. It's sort of a different discussion in itself, but it, it basically can't happen. Um, it just can't, you know. <laughs> and, um, they're, they're, they're trying to lobby against it now, you know. They're, they're going to call the highway Ruta 1 and, um, yeah, they've actually got an Instagram for the Pandia National Park and a hashtag called No NoRuta1. Uh, The guardians of the national park at CONAF, C-O-N-A-F, Chile. And yeah, they're sort of like the guardians of all the national parks here. And they're trying to get a lot of support now to – and they're they're connecting through all different kinds of social media. But I only just have their their Instagram now. But yeah, the hashtag is is hashtag NoRuta1, R-U-T-A. And, yeah, you'll, you'll easily find that on their, their Instagram page as well because there are two coastal cities, taltal and Chanyaral, and there's a lot of mining here. And, you know, it's a it's a real conservation and preservation location for cacti, including Kopipo, Laoi, Esmeralda, some of these really small cacti. And, uh, of course, if you have um, also trucks going on the highway there, it's going to affect the and Chakra and this coastal fog that, yeah. that, that brings life to this place. And,
0: you know, it just... Just basically, it just can't happen, you know?
1: Yeah. Um,
0: Well, I'm glad at the very least that there's an effort to make sure it doesn't happen. So I will definitely be sharing links to all of that just to get people involved. Because I do know I have at least a few listeners in South America that might want to take up that cause. But just let the world know it's happening.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, Yeah, and it's unfortunately an ongoing thing here with development. Sure, uh, of, of mining <laughs> through the Atacama. Yeah. A lot
0: of other places as well, but uh, mm. people need to take on local projects in order for that to, you know, it's not like we're going to stop mining projects. It's just certain ones shouldn't happen, and the only way to do that is to get the community and the locals involved in that.
1: Exactly, and I mean, well, that's why national park ex- parks parks ex- exist, is to stop this kind of thing happening. Right. So, you know, stuff can go on outside of the parks, but... yeah.
0: You know, it's, it's a sanctuary. It would set a very dangerous precedent, that's for sure. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But um, look, I'm going to do some more research into it myself because it's only just been brought to my yeah. attention. But there are definitely other social media links um, around this topic.
0: Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I'll definitely be posting those. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Again, your pictures are gorgeous. You're showing the world some of the world's most unique plant life. And uh, I, I really hope you continue this journey and I wish you the best of luck on it, but just keep sharing your love of cacti with us.
1: Uh, Thanks so much, Matt. Thanks for taking the time as well. It's been, it's been good to talk.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. Well, uh, you have yourself a great trip.
1: Thanks very much, Matt. And uh, keep
0: up the good work too. You're doing a great job
1: with um, with your podcast. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. Thanks, man. Yeah. Cheers.
0: Okay. Cheers. All right, that does it for this episode. I thank Stefan for sitting down and talk with us. Again, cacti underscore explorer. Check him out on Instagram. Even if you don't have an Instagram account, you can still scroll through his photos. It's worth checking out. I just want to give a quick shout out to Rachel and Stephanie, our two most recent producer donors over on patreon.com slash plants i didn't have time to record them as part of the special producer credits so i just want to give them a shout out for now and let them know that that one's coming if you would also like to be a producer or just support this podcast patreon.com slash plants all right everyone i've got a lot of great stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks so stay tuned and the best way to do that is to hit subscribe until then this is your host matt signing out adios this episode was produced in part by Philip, Henriette, Leticia, Ron, Tim, Carl, Lisa, Anthony, Susanna, Homestead Brooklyn, Brody, Kevin, Katharina, Sophia, Lisa, Brent, Plant by Design, Mark, Rens, Mountain Misery Farms, Bendix, Arinet, Holly, Clipton, Shane, Caitlin, Rosanna, Mary Jane, Manuel, Jennifer, Sarah, and Margie.